Hi everyone, I'm Maplin Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. Currently our stories may be warped by a world pandemic, but I want to focus on what we can control. So this is Style at Home, a bonus mini-series following season one of Style Stories. I sit at home with older new peers and discover how their life and style are adapting to isolation. Together we address their style at home. Today I'm chatting with Zoltan Charki, co-founder and owner of made-to-order t-shirt brand Citizen Wolf. It becomes very apparent very quickly that Zoltan is a good citizen who's leading the pack in terms of change and innovation around sustainable practices in the fashion industry. He is, however, not a wolf in sheep's clothing, even if ironically he's finding comfort in his Ugg boots in the time of coronavirus and his good old Uggies have quickly become his favoured style at home. And if you're looking for more than sound and want some sight of the interview, head over to madelinepark.co to view a video version of the podcast. So here we are. Um, uh, I just wanted to start off by saying that I know that serendipity is um, is a word you use at Citizen Wolf and you guys yeah. have it. Um, and I kind of feel like we, we have a few mutual contacts contacts like Melissa uh, who I recently did the interview with and Giuseppe yep. Maria who's my producer yeah. um I feel like it's almost serendipitous that we are here now <laughs> yeah indeed well thank you for having me it's great to be here my pleasure um I know you've not always been in the fashion industry and I want to know your entry into fashion fashion um the business that you're running now, was that a case of serendipity and good timing or was it something that you always, uh, an industry you always fascinated with or wanted to work in at some level? Um, it's, a, it's a fairly circuitous journey to how I got here, but in particular with Citizen Wolf, yeah, it's, it's absolutely serendipity. My, um, my background is advertising. So I did that for many years all around the world, like Barcelona, Amsterdam, London, um and sydney and it was great and i i loved it but it was super frustrating on on multiple levels so <clears throat> i had an idea to uh to make some software actually that would that would assist in my role as an art director and it was basically real-time collaborative mood boards so this was before google docs was a thing um you could basically put colors typography fonts, uh, videos, images, uh, all on this one kind of infinite canvas and it would be real time. So the idea was you could, you could work together with your client to build that mood board and sort of circumvent this endless stream of PowerPoints. Um, anyway, I quit my job, very well paid, very comfortable job. You know, I'd, I'd, I, I would say I was pretty entrepreneurial all the way through, but I never ran a business. Um, long story short, I shut it down. Um, at the same time, I was doing a bit of freelance advertising, but a mate of mine was like, oh, let's make some graphic T-shirts. He was, he was like an artist. And uh, so we started doing that and we both liked reading. So we basically started a brand called The Affair and we, we made art around books that we liked and then sold it via Facebook ads to the people that liked, had tagged those books on Facebook. 
What kind of book? uh, You know, like uh, fiction. So like uh, George Orwell's 1984, um, Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess, those kind of, there was a lot of dystopian kind of sci-fi novels in there. Um, And look, when Fate that we, we started, that was probably, that was before I quit advertising. So that was maybe like 2006 or something. And, Facebook ads had just sort of started and they were crazy cheap and when they were, this, this concept worked. Anyway, fast forward a few years and we, him and I sort of took divergent paths. I took over that business and then turned it in from a graphic T-shirt business into a menswear collection and put it up on Kickstarter, did, did pretty well and yeah raised a bunch of money got the collection done got it sent out and then sort of took stock and realized that it had taken me because i was working by myself it had taken me 18 months to effectively conceive sample produce and then you know market and launch this this collection and I had the next few already sort of concepted out and I knew what I wanted to do, but I was like, how am I supposed to do this sort of three or four, four times a year, if not more, right? Um, when I was by myself. So. Can I just ask, yeah. what, what, what was that brand like? What did it, that look like? Yeah, so that was basically, imagine a Venn diagram of um, like ready to, uh, just menswear, right? Like sort of not, not too straight, but sort of menswear. And, and film wardrobe, and it kind of sat in the middle there. Okay. Um, turns out that uh, reading is kind of niche, I guess, <laughs> or like dystopian fiction perhaps is really niche, um, and like in menswear in particular. And so, yeah, it, uh, it just didn't work. But... Again, so I had to shut that one down again very painfully after many years of trying very hard and borrowing money from my parents. I learned a small amount about a very, very, very wide <laughs> amount of things. Basically enough to be dangerous in pretty much every, every, um, every role that's required in a business because I had to do it all myself. Yeah, so anyway, I shut that down and I was like, shit, that's two, two kind of <laughs> failures at this point. Yeah. Um, and I just got back to Australia around about that same time. And an old colleague of mine from my very first job in advertising uh, was similarly back in Australia. And his name's Eric and he's now my co-founder at Citizen Wolf. And yeah, he basically came, he, you know, we reconnected through another mutual friend. You know, I sat him down and we're going through the spreadsheets and, and he was basically like, yeah, this is not going to work. <laughs> um, but then he said, you know, he'd been living in China for a long time. And he was like, you know, I, over there, it's so easy. There's a tailor on every corner because he's self-admittedly quite short. And As he, am I. <laughs> right. So you're going under, to understand his pain point. And he was like, look, it's really easy for me to get anything I want made. You know, obviously you can get a fancy suit anywhere. That's fine. But he's like, you know, I can get anything made over there and it's guaranteed to fit. And that's a real problem that I have buying off the rack here in Australia. And I find it next to impossible. And just why is it so hard to find clothes that fit? And I knew enough by that stage about, you know, making clothes and, but that, 
that question, that his question just really kind of stuck with me. And so we just kept talking and kept talking and kept talking. And then, yeah, all of a sudden it was like, all right, well, it seems like nobody's tried to solve this really. Why don't we give it a bash? I I, want to get into your business model and why it's unique. Um, But before we do that, what I, you know, in hearing those stories, there's this thread of, creativity meets technology uh throughout your career history mm. um but obviously drives into your personal interests like sci-fi as well um is that something that you would say was like a defining point of your creativity or sense of imagination as a kid uh like where's that come from for you yeah look i think um i'm definitely i i, I love and I read a lot of sci-fi not nearly as much as I used to but because now I'm sort of more onto the business books but um yeah I think that sort of unbridled optimism the sort of technological utopianism that um you know tech is going to save the world I think that's to a large degree true I think the the sort of macro arc of human history proves that to be true I think Moving forward, I would like to believe, I really do want to believe that technology is going to help solve very intractable problems like the climate crisis. But I do think that, you know, humans are nothing if not creative. And, and I do think that technology as a rule <laughs> is good, can yeah. be good. You know, it can, it, it's often used for, um, it can be used for evil it's benign in and of itself and it is up to the people that are using it but yeah I I do believe I guess that you know I'm optimistic. Can you talk me through your business model and also um, the the magic fit algorithm? We basically just thought you know why why a seven and a half billion people on this planet right forced into sort of six or seven sizes per gender it's it's just insane because because everybody is different and the more we looked into it the more we began to understand the, the kind of data around it and i can't remember who did the who did the study i can pull it out but basically 81 percent of people uh self-identify as having been failed by standard size breaks right so only one in five people is happy with the clothes that they buy off the rack in, term, in terms of how they fit. And we just saw that and we were like, this is absolutely nuts. Like, it just doesn't make sense. How can you have 80% of your customers not thrilled mm. with, with what you're doing, right? It just seemed like such an insane system. And so, you know, so ass backwards in so many ways. We thought there has, there's just, there has to be a better way like there simply must be a better way um and if we could throw some technology at the problem could we maybe create a, a better way of of making clothes and so that sort of thought was was the beginning of sitters morph and, and that led us to yeah what we what we built which is called the magic fit out so the the magic fit algorithm uh, essentially takes your height weight age and for women we need bra as well. And from those three or four data points, we can build a mathematical model of your body that's about 94% accurate. 
what would take a traditional tailor something like 40 minutes, we can do in about 0.4 seconds because it's just all done via the technology. Okay. And then we cut it on a laser and then we sew it as it would be sewn in any other factory around the world by, by humans at this stage. Uh, although I do think automation in, in the manufacturing side of fashion is something that um, not enough people are talking about. Uh, so, yeah, we ended up creating our own factory in Sydney, which is where we're based, because uh, we found it so difficult to get the incumbent people in the industry, the manufacturers, to work with us. Obviously, we do single-piece production, um, and that's just not the way things are normally done. The pattern maker told us we were crazy. The people selling us the fabric told us we were crazy. The manufacturers told us we were crazy. Everybody we spoke to told us we were crazy. Um, but for us, it wasn't about the T-shirts, right? Like Citizen Wolf, yes, right now, that's what we make, but, um, and that's what, certainly what we're known for. But for us, it was about a designing a better way of making clothes. And what we needed was a, was a proof of concept. We needed to choose a garment that we could make fairly easily um, that, that would prove the technology such that it would then allow us to move into pretty much the rest of the wardrobe. So well, that's we a, my next question was going to be, is that something that's on the horizons to, to, to use your unique proposition uh, that obviously does work um, and move it to what's the pants or skirts, like suits? What? Yeah, so yes is the short story. We, our ambition is to own the casual wardrobe we don't want to get into suits we don't want to get into wedding dresses you know they're the traditional bastions of tailoring and there's a lot of people doing it there's a lot of people doing it very well we don't we can't really add much value to that segment of the market um but there's doing it for females though for female suiting uh you know, yeah, that's true. And that, that blows my mind because the guys that make or the girls that make men's suits are just as capable of making women's suits. Yes. They just choose not to, right? What we found crazy was, you know, you can get, it's easy enough to get a wedding dress tailor-made or custom-made. And it's easy enough to get a fancy suit as well. And there's a small segment of the population that lives in fancy suits, but not many. And for the vast majority of people, the vast majority of clothes that we wear all the time, T-shirts, jeans, you know, just casual button-down shirts, are, are just not made to fit. Mm. And, and it seemed insane to us that all of the benefits of, of custom-made, both on the personal, like on the consumer side, but also on the environmental side, because we haven't even got there yet, the sustainability stuff, all of those benefits are reserved for effectively the 1% or for, for people getting married, yeah. which, hap which happens once in your life or maybe more than right. once. <laughs> but, you know, generally not very few, low single digits, right? To segue into the sustainability part, what we, what we kind of found was that, that almost a byproduct of, 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 doing, of trying to solve the fit problem because that's where we started. But a really lovely byproduct of doing that is that it turns out that we make things in the most sustainable way possible.
Um, you know, we make on demand, we make to order and to order. And so we only make things when they sell. We don't, we don't generate a huge amount of inventory that lies around that we cross our fingers and kind of hope somebody's going to buy. And when inevitably that doesn't happen, we have to discount and then we have to discount. We don't do that. We just don't play that game. And it's a much better business, right? Because we get paid up front for whatever we do make. But it's also environmentally, it's, the, it's light years ahead in terms of being better for the planet because we send nothing to landfill. And it's crazy that not that many people do it. You know, but I think that's one of the interesting things about our chat right now and within the context of COVID. I think coming out the back of this, that might change. And I certainly hope it does because it's, you know, both consumers and brands alike are going to be forced to reassess whatever they thought was normal because mm. normal's gone. Yeah. You know, two, two months ago, whatever the world was doing, whatever you were doing, it, it's, it's just different now. And what I'm certainly hoping is that, that that space that we've all had, that kind of pause button that was pushed and forced on everybody, that, that we take a step back and, and realise, you know, maybe, maybe the path we were on wasn't okay. And maybe what we were doing wasn't maybe the best way of going about it. And, and maybe we can and should reassess the way we do business, but also the way we consume. And, um, and yeah, that's my, that's my deep desire that we come out of this. Everybody's a bit more conscious, I would say, about, about what they buy. The macro kind of trends in terms of, you know, trying to, because that's, the, huge, that's the, the big problem, in my opinion, with fashion is the, is the forecasting and the fact that nobody gets it right, you know. Um, there's talk of AI trying to fix that, and I think it, to some degree it's, it's certainly going to help. But the elephant in the room when you talk to anybody in the fashion game is overproduction. Nobody wants to talk about it yeah. because it, it's the sacred cow. You know, mass production is really the sacred cow at the heart of the system. Make as much as we possibly can for the cheapest possible price, maximise your profit, and literally burn the rest. You know, literally just send it to the bloody incinerator, put a hole in it, dig it in the ground and get rid of it because we've got a truckload of stuff coming in for this week, you know? Yeah. And it's not okay. It's just simply not okay. And the planet can't survive. And, yeah, I do think that coming out of COVID, people are going to start to realise that they just don't need that much stuff. It, you, you talk about the casualization of the workplace. Mm. And I think... As you've said, businesses will hopefully also change in in meaningful ways um, moving out of this. But one of the things that anecdotally I'm hearing businesses talk about is actually ridding office space. They realise mm. that they can um, cope without um, all that expensive real estate. Um, and I'm wondering what that means for... Um, the casualization of the workplace and what that means for you guys as a business and whether you're seeing any kind of, um, you know, beneficial effects of that already. Yeah, so, look, absolutely. More and more 
uh, sorry, over the last few years, more and more companies have, have been more lenient in, in their kind of policies on what you, what's acceptable to wear in the office. You know, it started with sort of casual Fridays and then it just sort of grows into, well, if you're not meeting, if you don't have a meeting today, don't wear your suit kind of thing. I've got a lot of mates who work in finance and that kind of thing, and that's pretty normal. <clears throat> I think once everybody's working from home, that's just going to go to the, that's just going to, there's a rocket going to be put up there, right? And you just, of course, you're going to, people will still have to wear suits if that's the business that you're in, but it just won't be that often. Being presentable on the screen is, is definitely one thing, but, but being comfortable at home, you know, I was listening to the podcast to the one you did with Melissa and she was talking about shopping your wardrobe and how she has these little rituals like putting on shoes and, and stuff. Yeah. And I think that's all good. Um, and, and, and definitely makes a lot of sense. But I also think that given the choice, if you're going to wake up, wake up in the morning and put on your favourite T-shirt that's comfortable and that you've lived in for years, or are you going to go and put on a fancy suit when you're walking three metres to the to this study, you know, in order to sit down for the day? I honestly just think that we're going to end up going for a more casual look. Um, yeah. So... Is that affecting your business yet? Are you seeing any ramifications? Yeah, look, we're we're suffering like everyone is suffering, but um, but we are. I'd say we're in a better position than most. We um, we made a few decisions at the end of last year that sort of unwittingly, unknowingly, we didn't know this was going to happen, but it sort of put us in in a really good spot. Uh, in terms of we gave up our lease in, we had a, sh a flagship down in Haymarket, so we gave that up. Um, we had a few extra people which ended up, they ended up leaving for, for various reasons. So we sort of, we were, we were already down to the core team. Mm. Um, and we have, a, we have just the factory and there's a little shop in the factory that we obviously closed a few weeks ago. Um, and then in terms of in terms of like the revenue side of things, we um, yeah we've stopped growing, which as a as a startup is a problem. Uh, but Touchwood to date, we haven't really seen the revenues drop off a cliff, sort of month on month. And optimistically, back to what we were talking about before, um, what would be the next pattern? What what's what would be ideally the next shape that we could look forward to? Yeah, so this is a huge, uh, internally, this is a huge debate, but kind of, and, and it goes in swings and roundabouts, but um, we, we're taking the opportunity of, of COVID actually in terms of, you know, having the shop, the shop is shut and we've got a little bit more space and, and sales are uh, not growing, so we've got a bit of capacity. Um, we're taking that time to really accelerate the second product. I can't really say what it is right now, but um, <laughs> um, we, you know, we've, we've, we're on the record uh, for wanting to get into pants uh, as well as, you know, outerwear. As I said before, our, our goal is really to own the casual wardrobe. Citizen Wolf, in terms of a brand and an aesthetic, we, we make timeless classics. We don't, we're not trend-led. Um, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm not a fashion designer. I don't pretend to be. Um, but there are certain shapes and silhouettes that are never going to go out of style. 
And so our job is basically to find beautiful fabrics and make it fit your body. And if yeah. we can do that, then, um, then I think, you know, we've got an evergreen business and that's a really good thing. Yeah, for us, it's really about identifying what's the next, the next step. And we are going to do everything. So we're going to do, uh, we're going to do jeans eventually. We're going to, which I, I know if most women I speak to are pretty happy when I say that. Yeah. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to get into outerwear. Uh, we're going to get into kind of, and we probably should be doing right now, like sort more, more sort of um, athleisure kind of like stuff. And we'll, we'll, we'll do the whole gamut eventually. What we're just trying to, we're conscious that, you know, we are a small team. We don't want to boil the ocean as, as the saying goes. And we want to really try and limit um, our ability to fuck this up. Basically, <laughs> right? Fair enough. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, we're, so we're just going slowly. Where does the name Citizen Wolf come from? What's the driver for that? Right, so it's a good question. Um, it's something that we get asked all the time and we, I always say, oh, we've got to put this on the website. <laughs> How we kind of got to Citizen Wolf is that what we knew we were doing it was for people who knew what they wanted, you know, in terms of made-to-measure, in terms of um, tailoring it's very much targeted at people who know what they want. And if you know what you want, you're not being told what's cool. You're not being led. You're not a sheep, right? And if you're not a sheep, what are you? You're a wolf in, in the old analogy. So we had that. That felt right. At the start, we were, we were menswear only. Uh, so the kind of masculinity with the notion of the wolf wasn't a problem per se. But we also knew that um, it wasn't enough by itself because we knew that the people, you know, the people that we were going to be talking to would, yes, they would know what they want, but we also, we had a, a hunch that there'd be the sustainability side of our business as well. And so we wanted to balance that with this notion of being a good citizen. Um, so people that, that care about the planet, people that care about, politics, people that care about kind of social issues. Um, that notion of being a good citizen was really important to us. And I think that's, and, and from a company perspective too, you know, we've, we've just applied uh, to B Corp and it's been something that's been coming for a long time, but that for us, but that, um, that notion that it's more than profit, you know, to, we're in business to affect change as much as we are to, um, to be able to survive in terms of a lifestyle. So, yeah, that notion of being a good citizen and being a good corporate sort of responsibility from the brand side of things matched with this notion of knowing what you want and um, going at it and getting it. I trust that you're a good citizen. Do you consider yourself a leader of the pack? Um... I, yes, I guess so. <laughs> you know, I um, we got out here to to my in-laws' place in Orange, and they this is a silly example, but you know they don't recycle their soft plastic, and I was like, that's not okay. We have to change this. Yeah. You know, it's twenty twenty. It's okay. You just take it to the supermarket, and well, they're supposed to handle it. I think the question is whether or not they do. But you know, um, yeah. Look, I think that. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of info generally in life and, and it's hard to stay on top of things. Um, 
and I, I do see my role and, and Citizen Wolf's role more broadly as being a bit of a filter for, um, I guess, being a more environmentally responsible citizen. Um, we want to make it easy to do good effectively. So by choosing Citizen Wolf, you can be sure, assured uh, that you're actually doing good in the world. And if we make that decision easy, um, then, then not only are we helping the planet, but, but we're making the, you know, we're, we're taking a whole load of effort off, off our customers' minds. Um, because I ultimately think that these days you people vote with their wallet. You know, you, you, the guy, the famous Gandhi quote is be the change you want to see. Right. Um, and I do think that that in, in the society that we live in, that, that pertains to basically buying the things, buying the brands, buying the products that, um, that are, I guess, put, you know, pushing the envelope and, and you know, that it might not be just the, the kind of standard fair, but you buy these things that, that you hope to, that will go mainstream, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, and in going into your, drilling into your personal style, you, obviously the business, um, brand is about timeless, understated pieces. Um, is that is that how you would describe your style, your personal style, or are you yeah. influenced by other things? So my previous brand was very loud, sort of prints, right? Graphic T-shirts. Yeah. yeah. And I was younger at that point in time, and I definitely think that the the idea um, that you're more comfortable in your skin as you get a bit older is true. And I certainly as I've, as, as I've become older and, and I guess my style has evolved, uh, I guess the aesthetic of Citizen Wolf has, has, has been influenced by that, right? It, it can't not be. So, yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm, I, I wear jeans every day and a T-shirt every day. Um, this jumper that I'm wearing actually is, is, I haven't worn it since I used to live in London because it's generally too hot in Sydney, but here in Orange it's freezing. Yeah. <laughs> so I pulled it out and I, and I am rediscovering some things that I've got in the wardrobe, which is nice. And, yeah, to Melissa's point, you know, shopping your wardrobe, as it were, I think is really cool at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, get to that. Uh, one thing I want to ask you, you've... Um, You've likened fast fashion to junk food. Yeah. Are you eating any junk food at the moment? Are you like running off impulse and engaging in the occasional burger? Or <laughs> look, I'm trying. I'm trying not to. Um, on the long drives out from from between Sydney and Orange, there's not a huge amount of choice. So we try to. Be, eat more vegetarian things at the moment because, again, the more that I learn about climate change, the more that it's unequivocal uh, that that meat and, in particular, the kind of aggressive practices of the meat industry um, are, are like hugely detrimental to the planet. And we just I just read a book called um, We Are the Weather or something like that. Jonathan Safran Foa, his latest one. Um, yeah, and it basically is like the single biggest change that we can all make to combat climate change is to eat less meat products, full stop. Um, 
and in terms of junk food, yeah, it's, you know, I'm a big advocate for nobody's perfect. You know, it's a journey, it's a process. And I think if we just choose to make good decisions most of the time, yeah. Uh, if you end up making not such a great decision, I like I try not to beat myself up about it. And uh, in, in trying not to beat yourself up is one thing, but it is easy to engage in like those things that are are impulsive or hedonistic, especially at a time that feels um, like an apocalypse. Yeah. Um, and fast fashion at this time might be something that people uh, go to as um, as a means of a very quick uh, sense of um, pleasure. Yeah. How? What's your advice for people to break up with fast fashion? How How do people break up with it? Look, I think. It's a great question. I don't think there's one particular answer. There's no simple answer, that's for sure. And so I would say, look at the clothes that you already have. Identify why you love the ones you love. And if it's fit or if it's color or if it's the fabric or whatever it happens to be. But just be really conscious about what those, why those things give you joy in, I guess, that Marie Kondo kind of sense. <clears throat> and then... Go and look for more things like that. Like if don't, don't just buy something because it's cheap. And are you going through any kind of streamlining, decluttering process at the moment? Well, funnily enough, you know, we had to come, we came up from Sydney, so we had to basically pack a suitcase and that was, and now, now it's been kind of six weeks living out of the suitcase. So, you know, there's only so much stuff that we could bring in and in, we didn't do this consciously, but in hindsight, yeah, I think, you know, you, you just, you do, you grab those things that, um, that make the most sense and that you know you're going to wear. Like I've got only very few things. I've got two pairs of pants and a bunch of T-shirts and some jumpers and that's kind of it, but that's all I need. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. And what... As I said in um, previous interviews, now is the time to really hold on to some of the things that mean a lot to us um, and uh, that we treasure. Is there anything stylistically that you're really holding on to as a sense of self at the moment? Um, well, yeah, contrary to Melissa Singer, I absolutely love my Ugg boots. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't give them up for, any, for anything in the world right now. Yeah. Um, because they're just the best thing. Yeah. And I can wear them to, I can wear them to work. It's great. <laughs> Looking forward to, uh, as, as well as I said, I'm five foot two. So uh, made to measure kind of suits me well. Looking forward to seeing how your business expands and getting involved. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'd, l I'd love to get you in for that picture. It's hard to separate Zoltan the citizen from Citizen Wolf the brand. While Zoltan talks openly and candidly about the business, we don't get as much insight into his personal style. 
However, his passion for change about eliminating fashion waste and finding a tailored model of making clothes that works for most is compelling and draws you into his Citizen Wolf story. What we do understand is that a boyish fascination with sci-fi has driven a desire for innovation and change in his creative work, and that utopian belief that technology can save the world is a defining moment in Zoltan's style. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please go ahead to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating or a review on why my podcast is your style.